Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Douglas Wilson. This is episode 232. Welcome aboard. Good to have you. As I'm recording this, the hearings for President Biden's uh, Supreme Court nomination, um, Ketanji Brown, uh, uh, Brown Jackson, is that it? Are going forward. And she has already delivered us with a quote that will supply us with memes for the ages. Uh, I don't know, you know, when asked, what a woman was. She said, I don't know. I'm not a biologist, which is like saying, is this a dog or a cat? I don't know. I'm not a veterinarian. (laughs) So let's have a little uh, fun for a minute before we get into this. Who's to say what a woman is? Then what sense did it make for the president to say that he was going to nominate a black woman? (laughs) If um, the follow-up question was, so do you are not sure then whether the president fulfilled his promise to nominate a black woman in nominating you? You are unsure whether that was actually um, a promise that he fulfilled? Well, of course, she, what she's doing is she is um, staying on the right side of the out-of-control progressive base, which would go nuts if she pushed back against the transgender claims. Then, then there'd be an uproar about that and so on. Nobody needs that. The thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to get to it, don't, don't worry, cool your baby jets, is uh, when it comes to Supreme Court nominations, I think that what we've done is we, because we have adopted a uh, sort of a neutralist view of judicial philosophy, what matters is the person's legal chops. What matters is what the, what their GPA was in law school, what law school it was, and why was it Harvard? You know, and who did they clerk for? What you know, is this person a respected legal mind? That sort of that is assumed to be value neutral, and it's it is also assumed that whoever won the presidential election has the right to nominate a highly qualified guild-certified person who agrees with, in the main with his political philosophy, right? That's the, that's the assumption. And so consequently, if, you want, if you're the party out of power, if you're the party that is having to deal with this um, nomination uh, and the, the person nominated would be a wrecking ball for the, as far as the Constitution is concerned, and you know that they would be a wrecking ball, but provided they graduated from Harvard Law and clerked for the right people, and they weren't a complete moron, uh, if, if you're in that position, then what you have to do is you have to go in for the politics of personal destruction, which is something that began with the demolition of Robert Bork when he was nominated for the Supreme Court. A superb legal mind, uh, wonderful a wonderful nominee. And so they went after him on personal grounds. And you saw this, um, and and that's the way it's gone with virtually every Republican nominee since. Clarence Thomas got the treatment, for example, and Justice Kavanaugh 
got the treatment, accused of gang rape. And uh, so you have to, what the opposition has to do, if your legal credentials are in order, they have to invent all kinds of things to be able to do the mud gobbing that they want to do. And it seems to me that what we ought to do is let's clean up politics by putting politics back on the table, by allowing, by encouraging senators to vote on the basis, uh, instead of assuming that the president can nominate whoever he wants so long as their legal papers are in order. And, and so we can only vote against them if we allege that they're a child rapist or something like that. It would be far, far better to say this nominee is too radically far, too radically far to the left. And so consequently, I don't want a Supreme Court justice who's that far left. And so I'm going to vote no. She could be a swell person, as far as I know. Uh, she could be a great next-door neighbor we would have over for barbecue. All of that, I'm not going to allege anything nefarious about her personal life. I'm just going to say I don't like her political philosophy. I don't want someone with that philosophy on the Supreme Court. And that's all I need to vote no. That's all I need. I don't have to go in for the politics of personal destruction. And the thing that would, it would go the other way too. Democrats could say, I don't want another conservative Republican on the court, so I'm going to vote no. I don't have to come up with all the, all the dirt in the world. So return civility to Supreme Court nominations by making it political again. Get it out of the realm of the politics of personal destruction. So continuing on with episode 232 of the podcast, uh, we come to homartiology. In this episode of homartiology, our word for the week is ekperadzo, ekperadzo, E-K-P-E-I-R-A-D-Z-O, ekperadzo, ekperadzo, and it means tempt. When it's used to describe a sinful behavior, the KJV renders it that way, as, as tempt. So, so, for example, when the devil tempted the Lord in the wilderness, he was tempting the Lord to tempt his father. And this is how Jesus replied. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So it's a sin to tempt God. And that's in Matthew 4.7. Uh, it's paralleled in Luke 4.12. So Jesus is not rebuking the devil. And this is important. Jesus is not rebuking the devil for tempting him, saying that the scriptures say not to do that. He's not saying to the devil, I am the Lord your God, and why are you tempting me? Because the Bible says not to tempt, tempt the Lord. Rather, Jesus is saying that if he were to do what the devil suggested, throwing himself off the temple, then he, Jesus, would be tempting God. And Deuteronomy says not to do that. So this is a remarkable instance of the Son of God submitting himself to the Word of God. So, uh, Jesus here is not quoting that scripture at the devil, saying, the Bible says not to tempt God, so why, why are you tempting God? Rather, he's saying, the Bible says not to tempt God, which I would be doing if I threw myself off the temple the way you're suggesting. One time, a scribe asked Jesus a question, and because of his motive in doing so, it is described as tempting. Um, Luke 10.25 says this, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so this scribe is tempting Jesus. It was a gotcha question, in other words. He wasn't looking for a godly answer. 
but rather for a way to trip Jesus up. He was trying to, he was trying to give him material, uh, play him out some rope that he could hang himself with. And Jesus was very good at avoiding those sorts of things, either with no answer or with a surprising answer. In one instance, the temptation runs the other way. It's not the devil tempting man, but rather sinful man tempting Christ. A good understanding of the sense of this word in that scenario would be to read it as provoke. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Okay? So, uh, the Jews in the wilderness were tempting Christ. They were uh, provoking Christ, and because of that provocation, they were destroyed by serpents. All right, continuing on with the podcast, episode 232. Uh, the book for this episode that I want to talk about is a book edited by Ethan Nicole, who's one of the Babylon Bee guys. And the book is uh, Chesterton's Gateway. Chesterton's Gateway. This is a, uh, this is a fun book because uh, Ethan Nicole has um, started at least a couple of Chesterton discussion groups. And uh, what these discussion groups, it basically, it's um, how do we provide gateway drug levels of Chesterton to people who are uh, not familiar with Chesterton? And so, uh, what Ethan Nicole has done is selected essays or chapters from sort of like the greatest hits, well, not greatest hits, but greatest hits that would be recognized as really great by a newbie, someone who's not read Chesterton uh, before. And uh, what he does is, uh, so basically you're reading or listening to a book that's written by Chesterton, and Ethan Nicole provide, made the selections based on his experience with um, these Chesterton discussion groups, and he provides a number of um, helpful footnotes. Uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of what Chesterton did a lot of his writing, a lot of his interaction with the events of his day was, um, shall we say, done in a journalistic way. And so some of the people he mentions, you might recognize the name of a prime minister or someone who's still known. Uh, but he also mentions people that uh, nobody today knows about at all. And Ethan Nicole provides uh, uh, footnotes that are, uh, that are pretty informative and also frequently pretty funny. Ethan Nicole uh, has no, is making no pretensions of being a scholar, and his um, you can see the Babylon Bee influence in his, uh, in his footnoting, shall we say. So, Chesterton's Gateway. If you, if you want to, <laughs> and I'm tempted to say in these crazy times that we live in, the more people get turned on to Chesterton, the better it is. If you enjoyed this episode, check out Doug's page on Canon Plus. There you can listen to his audiobooks, watch his sermons, and more. Just click the link in the show notes and start listening today. Yeah.